0: When I was in college, which is quite a while ago now, I was in a campus ministry that was known for strong evangelism. So for an introvert, this was really hard. But I loved Jesus, and I loved my friends, and I cared about their destiny, and so I wanted them to know Jesus. So one thing I used to do was to ask my friends if they would be willing to take a simple survey which many of them agreed to do out of kindness to me. But I knew that at the end of the survey, my campus leader and I were going to spring the gospel in four easy steps on them, unaware, which was always more than a tad awkward, if you can imagine. Now, away from these bait-and-switch surveys that I was feeling forced to do, I was having real, honest conversation with my friends about faith. I was listening to them. I was answering questions. I was learning where they stood on things. I was talking with them about where they struggled. I shared where I struggled. I was just kind of living my life with them. I was present with them as friends. And I saw them as real people, and they saw me the same way. And they knew, you know, where I stood on my faith. I even, uh, Chuck and I recently went back to both of our 25th college reunions, and I talked to a guy there who I dated a little. That was kind of interesting. Um, and he reminded me how I was actually kind of inviting all of my friends and even, you know, any guy who wanted to go on a date with me, which wasn't that many. It was maybe just this one guy, but... <laughs> I tried to you know buff that up a little bit But he he reminded me that I basically forced him in a nice way to go down to this Christian neighborhood center in Chicago Where I was tutoring some really tough kids because I saw that service as a way of living out my faith And if he wanted to go out with me, basically he had to go down there and tutor those kids along with me and he knew why But back then I never felt like those kinds of conversations and those kinds of relationships were enough in fact I was really made to feel that they didn't count at all unless I shared the four-point gospel message with each one of those people and demanded that they make a decision for Jesus one way or another. I believed evangelism was like closing the deal on a sales call. But you know what I started to notice? That is not how Jesus interacted with people. He saw people individually and he had different conversations with them based on who they were and what they were going through and what their needs were. Sometimes he simply healed people and he said to them, Your faith has made you well. And those people then walked away. Sometimes he even told the people, that he just healed, listen, don't tell anybody what I just did for you. Sometimes, when he approached his disciples, the men who were going to follow him, he said to them, follow me, and they did. But that wasn't their full moment of conversion. In fact, for many of his disciples, they didn't even fully understand who Jesus was until after the resurrection. Their faith was a journey. For others who came to Jesus and they asked him the perfect startup question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, if you read the stories, seems to punt. He answered that question with another question, or he answered it in ways that we wouldn't ever consider to be the simple gospel presentation that I was told to make. Jesus never fit into a one-size-fits-all kind of script way of talking to people. He often made an offer to people, follow me. Or do you want to be made well? And some took him up on the offer and some walked away. But never did he trick people. Never did he approach people like he had something he wanted to sell them. Never did he force people to pray a prayer they were not ready to pray. So you see, what a dilemma I was in in college. I thought... Evangelism was equivalent to some kind of infomercial and that honest, authentic conversations about Jesus with my friends didn't count. And what a dilemma some of us are in today. We love Jesus. We love our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, but we struggle to know how to share Jesus' love with them in a way that feels real and authentic and honest and not like we have to become a telemarketer all of a sudden. And that's why, you know, Dave was here last week introducing this idea that we want to talk about a different paradigm about sharing the good news because we believe so strongly here at Orchard that ours is a message not meant to be hoarded, but shared and lived out. The good news about Jesus is a major part of how we honor and worship him. And it's a major part of how we bless and heal a broken world. But I submit to you this morning that we can do this. We can share our faith in ways that are authentic and kind and honest and respectful. A little bit like um, Peter writes about in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, where he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, he says, do this with gentleness and respect. And 2 Corinthians 17, I've been reading through 2 Corinthians, and I just kind of stumbled upon this verse. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17, Paul writes, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. I love that. We want to talk about ways that we can share our faith that feels real to us and real to the people we are talking with, that actually feel to them like a blessing and not some kind of a curse. You know, when's the last time, you know, when people approached your house to knock on your door and ask you an awkward question about your faith that you thought, oh, good, this is awesome. I can't wait for this conversation, <laughs> right? Am I the only one who hides in the bathroom till they go away? So we're in this three-week series called See, Serve, Speak, this trio of behaviors that can help us authentically and kindly share our faith as God leads. So this idea of seeing that I'm going to talk about this morning, which is all about simply being with people and seeing people as God sees them, as people who matter deeply to God and therefore who matter to us. Serve, which Ed is going to be back to teach next week after the shortest of all retirements. Yes! Which is all about living in this world and especially outside these walls as a servant Not as people who make demands that the world or the culture or our country should treat us a certain way You guys the early christians never did that. They never expected to be treated. Well, they expected persecution and yet in the midst of it they served Which is a huge reason their message had so much power and speak which Dave was here last week talking about which is about being willing and able as God moves. That's the important part of this to share our story about who we know Jesus to be and what we know he has done for us and the world. So we want to take evangelism out of the realm of the bait and switch, out of the realm of the awkward scripted monologue and into the real honest world of loving relationships. See, serve, speak. So I'm going to talk this morning about that first word, about the power of seeing other people and being with them as friends, as fellow human beings, but also as Christ's, ambassadors which paul calls us in second corinthians 5 that we are to be ambassadors of reconciliation and we are a church that believes at the very core that we lead and minister in the context of relationships we don't share our faith in a vacuum we want to be in relationship with people we want to see them and be with them and this flows out of what we call the doctrine of the incarnation this idea that god didn't stay away from us up in heaven and just send down words to us about his salvation, but instead he took on flesh. He became one of us, present to us in order to save us. Um, the, the message translation of John 1, chapter or verse 14, I think puts it best. It says the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is our model. And then if you think about it, Jesus, God in human flesh, lived 30 years on this earth before his ministry even started. He lived amongst the people he was going to save, and then he was with his disciples for three years. He lived among them. He taught them all about himself. It wasn't some kind of a short-term deal. He ate, drank, slept, walked, laughed, served, cried with his disciples. He was present with them. He saw them and they saw him. And this is our model. And here's another text from the scriptures I didn't expect to land in. Most of us know the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? I would guess it's probably one of Jesus' most famous stories that even people who don't follow him know about. Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 10. A man was robbed and he was beaten up and he was left for dead on the side of the road. And two religious leaders of the day walk right by him. They see him, and they even go to the other side of the road, at least one of them does, and pass right by him. But Jesus tells the story of a third man, a Samaritan, who was deeply hated by the Jews. We have to know this. He was not thought of at all as a man of God. But the Samaritan saw the man, and he had pity on him. And he cared for him and he bound his wounds and he put him on a donkey and he carried him to an inn where he paid for the man to stay. And Jesus told us we are to be like the Samaritan. We know this story, right? But I wonder how many of us know off the top of our head the context in which Jesus tells this story. What prompted him to tell this story? Luke chapter 10 verse 25. Here it is. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There it is, right? The perfect setup for the easy four-point gospel presentation. Jesus, do it right now. And Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the guy answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great answer. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the guy had to go one step farther and he said, well, who is my neighbor? This was one of those times when Jesus seems to punt on a perfect opportunity to make a sales call deal. But instead, he tells a story about seeing and serving a neighbor in need. Seeing and serving. Now, there's no speaking in this story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. At no point does the Samaritan tell the injured man about the love of God. But imagine with me for a moment, how well do you think the ground was tilled in that man's heart for further conversation and understanding about the love of God? I want you to watch for about five minutes. A modern-day take on that parable, on the power of seeing a fellow human being and offering them the gift of your presence and being willing to accept the gift of their presence. Um, it's, this is about a, a small group from Orchard here. It's just the guys from the small group who are in this video. And, and their story of their friendship with a man named Jack, who is a friend of ours in the Walnut Court neighborhood of East Waterloo. Um, he lived there his whole life. He's a strong member of the Neighborhood Association. He worked for years at the Weber King Bakery. If you grew up in Waterloo or this area, you know about the Weber King Bakery. He's also a polio survivor. He's been unable to walk for eight years. So I just want you to watch a little um, video about these guys' friendship.
1: It started as a project. You know, it's our, our first time over here, Jack, if you remember as a group. We came over just to, you know, help clean his house. So we just literally spent three or four hours here, you know, just going through things. We, we uh, helped him, you know, things he couldn't get to. Uh, you know, we helped him sort through some things and we threw some things away for him and and even I think took some stuff to, like the Goodwill for him and you know sort of just helped him go through some things that he wasn't able to. So it was a it started out as a project and then as the and then the project turned into a friendship.
2: Well, last year when they came in my life, I was at the end of my ropes. But uh, I had lost my best friend, and then all my brothers were gone. I didn't know what I was, was going to do. And then Marcus came over, and the group came over and started cleaning the yard and stuff. And then I met the rest of the guys, Wayne, and they helped me out a lot.
3: Yeah, the the, the relationship is very. Mutually beneficial, and that um, you know, I'm able to help help Jack out with a couple things, but he's just able to um, you know calm me down, slow me down, and um, make me really pause and take a look around and uh, and just relax a little bit, which is really really refreshing and uh, something that I really need in my own life.
2: I want to give back to him because of all the things they've done for me, and I just kind of pre. Appreciate. They don't know how much I appreciate them. Sometimes I don't show it, but I, I really do.
1: Really, it's 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 a two-way street because um, we've talked about many times at our group about how we come over to spend time with Jack and we leave feeling better uh, about you know interacting with him and and knowing him and it's not it's not a it's not just us giving it's a two-way street you know he gives he gives back to us as well so you know it's just a it's just a great friendship that that has developed
2: I knew there was a lot of caring people in the world but i never had associated with am until i met you group and everybody else and then I couldn't it amazes me how much you can care about somebody they never knew before. You No, know, but over about a year now, I feel I'm best friends with all of them.
3: You know, God is God is powerful, and He works in ways that, that we don't understand. And when when Jack was in um, in the care home, um, he didn't know if he was going to come home or not, and he thought it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And then all at once. He's released and, and still as as we've talked about this, we've talked with uh, with Dwayne and uh, with Jack and everybody, nobody really has an explanation for who signed the papers or who gave permission for him to be here or to actually come home.
2: I never been too much of a religion. But then when I 'cause my folks never were. But uh, when I met these guys and stuff I truly believe somebody's watching over cause Every time uh, it seemed to me like they prayed for me, it, uh, stuff started happening for me. Because when I was in manicure, I couldn't even hardly move or anything like that. And then uh, Marcus came in, and they came in, prayed and stuff. And all of a sudden, I started bell- to move my arms, and then it, and it, it just started clicking together. Something had to be good doing it. <laughs> it had to be God, I guess.
3: You know, part of what we're, we're called to do, um, here on earth is just, just be with one another and, and be in the, be around, help each other out. And it, it doesn't have to be these really big, significant events. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of room to, just just be around each other and, and to to fellowship together and uh enjoy each other's presence and and just talk and, and and grow closer to one another and and reach out and help help as we're able to
1: it's It's sort of obvious in scripture and and I think a lot of times we just sort of overlook it or or just miss it but um that was that was the heart of his ministry when he was here. And I think maybe we've strayed a bit from that. And and I, 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 on a personal level, um, I, I can say that I had, and it was really good to get back into, um, you know, reading reading the Book of Acts and seeing what the early church did, and and then putting it into putting it into practice.
2: Well, like I've always heard, the church is just the building; it's the people that go to it that makes the church. So I. I've got, well, they call it a wake-up call and about the church and stuff.
0: It's just one picture of stories like this that I believe are happening all over our community, that, that the love of God can be spread through simple presence so just a few things i want to i want to point out from this video first of all god wants us to see people you know we are of course to be the hands and feet of christ in the world that's christianity 101 but we are also called to see the image of god in others We are to enter into what these guys were talking about, mutual relationships of respect and honor, where we realize we're not the only ones who have something to bring, right? We we want to really see other people when we're with them, and no agenda, no ulterior motive, you know, where we're waiting to spring it on them, but to really actually just love them and be with them. Second thing is that God values relationships, You know, so first, this group was just going to help Jack with a project. Clean his house, clean his yard. And there's no denying the power of that initial project. It was good. But God tends to move us toward relationship. I think because he knows nobody wants to be just somebody's project. Everybody wants to be somebody's friend. And the power and the beauty and the new understanding of God that Jack is starting to have is happening, not because of the project, but because of the relationships. Third thing, I don't know if you heard Jack say, I was at the end of my rope. My best friend died, my brothers were gone, and I wonder to myself, why did this group of Christians show up at just the right time, just when Jack was at the end of the rope? And I believe it's because God always takes the initiative. God takes initiative with people. He never stops seeing them and calling out to them and whispering into their lives. God knows Jack. He sees Jack. He loves Jack. And he was working in Jack's life before the Orchard folks ever showed up. And this too has a name. This is the doctrine of what we call prevenient grace. Provenient grace, which basically means God is everywhere and always seizing the initiative in human life. Provenience, Eugene Peterson defines it. He says, Provenience is the conviction that God has been working diligently, redemptively, and strategically before I appeared on the scene. Before I was even aware there was something to do. So we never walk into a relationship with another human being that God isn't already there first And so this means it's not all up to me I don't have to force conversations or manipulate the situation to make it move in the direction I think it should go I just need to watch for and be aware of and listen for what God is already up to two other quick things We often think of evangelism as something we are called to do on our own, which is, I think, what makes it so doggone frightening to so many of us. But God works in community. We didn't get to hear from Dwayne and Rachel Johnson, who have been so involved in Jack's life, and the other people in that small group. They all work together using their best gifts to help serve and love Jack, just like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, some people plant, And some people water. God is the one who makes things grow. We are to become a witnessing community. And not just a bunch of witnessing individuals. Lone Rangers. And one last thing. And this tips into Ed's teaching a bit. But he'll forgive me. And that is that God speaks powerfully through service. He really does. It was St. Francis of Assisi who said. Preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary. And there are times when it's necessary use words. And when we serve other human beings out of, not an ulterior motive, but an immeasurable sense of gratitude for what Christ has done for us and how Christ serves us, as one writer said, that kind of service speaks volumes without saying a word. Christ will be seen. And I think that is just so clear in this story. Jack knows these guys are followers of Jesus. And as they serve him and as they love him and as they listen to him and as they are served by him, his view of God is changing. So God wants us to see people. He deeply values relationships. He is on the move before we show up. Thank you. He does some of his best work in community and he can speak powerfully through acts of service. So I want to close with one more point and a story from my life. One of the most powerful times for us to see people and to be the presence of Christ to them is when they are suffering, which is actually when most people tend to walk away. And it is actually when most Christians are called to walk toward them. We are always called to move toward people who are suffering. So this was over 20 years ago in in my life, Chuck's in my life. Um, We were a young couple back then, (laughs) so young. Um, In Pasadena, California, Chuck was in seminary. Hannah, my oldest, was two, and uh, I was pregnant with our second daughter. And toward the end of that second pregnancy, I began to sink into what I now know, I did not know back then, was a clinical postpartum depression. And this ended up being three of the longest, most painful years of my adult life, and Chuck's as well, of course. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't care for my kids. I cried all the time. I was in constant chronic pain. I burned through my shoulder blade skin using Icy Hot and cold packs. I just couldn't get out of pain. And all you know, my poor husband could try to do was to help, but this thing was actually way bigger than the both of us. And I remember those dark days and I remember so many people wanting to offer me their advice It's this issue. It's that issue. Have you thought of this? Have you tried this? You need to pray more You need to have a demon exercise. That was my favorite one. You need to go to church more You need to go to the doctor. You need to go to this specialist. You need to go to this faith healer You need to have more faith. You need to try harder. You need to just smile more Lots of friends who wanted to pop over and talk to me for 10 minutes. And when it was clear to them that their little visit was not going to fix me, they would leave, many of them never to return. But I did have one friend who was different. Her name was Terry, and she knew what to do. I don't know how she knew what to do. My guess is she had been through her own rough patch before. So she would come over to our little apartment where I had two little kids Me looking a little crazy and sometimes she would find me just sitting on my kitchen floor Back up against my fridge just sitting in the dust bunnies just crying I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to make nice I didn't even have the energy to pretend to my Christian friends that my life was good. I just sat and cried and I remember her walking into our apartment one day And quietly just settling herself down on that kitchen floor right next to me, back up against the fridge. And she grabbed my hand and she just held it. She didn't say anything to me. She didn't try to impart wisdom. She had no Bible verses to share, no advice, no home remedies, no criticism for how I wasn't doing things right. She just got down on the floor with me. And she let me know she was willing to sit with me in my pain for as long as I needed her to sit. And I remember kind of looking over at her a couple times, and I could just see a tear rolling down her face. And I knew that she was with me, that she had seen me, and that she was praying for me. She was the presence of Jesus in my kitchen. I have not one doubt about that. And there was more power in her willingness to see me and to enter into my pain with me than the million words of advice I got from a lot of other well-meaning people. There's something about the healing power of her presence that God used to rescue me. We can do this. There are thousands of people In pain, suffering, sitting on their kitchen floor, crying, waiting for somebody to show up and maybe just shut their mouth and have a seat. Americans, George Gallup said, are the loneliest people in the world. And we need to remember as followers of Jesus that sometimes the most powerful way we have to witness to the love, grace, and mercy of Christ is to just show up to just see people and to just be with them and then to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit enough to believe that God can speak through our presence. Let's pray. Oh God, we love to make things complicated. We love to think things are all up to us. We love to think that when something good happens, when somebody does decide to put their faith in jesus that it was our good deed that did it and yet god your word says a different thing yes we are called out into the world to see and to serve and to speak but it is your power it is your presence it is your words it is your spirit that does the work And so God, teach us again what it means to be your people in the world in fresh, authentic, honest ways. Amen.